I get to follow that. When I was a kid, my mom taught me this psalm. And it's funny how you learn things as a kid, and the older you get, they seem to apply more and more to your life. So I'm going to read a psalm to you that most of you know. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restoreth my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's funny. You, you memorize that as a child. You know it. And like I said, as, as I get older, especially verse 4, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And you got to hear three testimonies tonight of people walking through deep valleys, but God sustaining them, God being with them. I want to tell you a little bit about the valley that I've walked through this year. About a year, a little over a year ago, I found that I was going to be a father again to my fourth child. And thanks, Rev. <laughs> and, and he'll be the first one to attest that I wasn't real excited about it. I mean, I, like, we've never had any problems um, having children or getting pregnant or anything like that. I think I can look at my wife when we get pregnant. Um, and so, like, we've never really had issues like that. And all our pregnancies have gone so smooth. And, I, and that's so hard because I wish, you know, I, so, I know a lot of my friends out there that struggle, in, and even in this, in this room, and I wish that could happen for them. And so what happens is, is we, we get pregnant, and like I said, I was, I was not real excited because it's like, oh, I know how much work it is, and I was already pretty busy and, and, and struggling through some things. And then about six, seven months, or six, sorry, six, seven weeks in, into our pregnancy, we started to have some complications. And my wife was telling me, this, this one just doesn't feel right. They're, they're, we're having issues and we're having problems. And, you know, I was like, well, we just started to pray about it. And then one night, um, things got pretty bad, and my wife started to bleed very, very intensely and kept bleeding and, and bleeding and bleeding, and we were pretty certain that we had lost that child. And so we prayed all night, and that's a hard, that's a hard thing when you don't really initially want something, and then you're praying to God, God, please have mercy on it. I realized how arrogant I was and how I thought I was in control, and, and I'm trying to humble myself. God, please have mercy, have mercy, and I, and I pray these prayers. And so the next day we went, and we got an ultrasound, and as we're in there, and they're, they're taking the pictures, and they're seeing, we're seeing things. Um, the technicians initially were very upbeat, and then I could tell by the look on their face that things weren't good. And they said, well, maybe your due dates were just mistaken, and maybe things were just off. And then the following day, we went to the gynecologist and received news that we had lost our child. And that's a hard, that's a hard, hard day. And I know many of you have, have walked that path. And you ask, well, God, why? why? Why did you let this happen? And so my wife and I, we talked about it, and we decided that we were going to try again. Let's, let's, let's try, and let's try to have another child. And so I looked at her, and she became pregnant. And so, <laughs> and, uh, and so we, uh, and uh, it, it was incredible, because in about six, seven weeks into this pregnancy, 
the same thing happened. We started to have complications. And I just started to pray. I was like, God, please ha have mercy on us. Please, please, please. And so she didn't quite ble bleed as much. And my wife is um, the strange blood type. She's O positive. And so she had to have a Rogam's shot, if any of you know that, just so that the bloods wouldn't intermix. And so for really, the, for the first 30 weeks of us being pregnant with Camden, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know if, the, if her body was accepting it or rejecting him. And, and so we just prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And then about 35 weeks or so, somewhere around there, um, our Caleb decided to bring home hand, foot, and mouth disease, which can be really bad for babies, and it doesn't show up. And so you just pray, and you prayed, and we, and we prayed. And then with about two months to go, my wife's liver uh, enzymes just started going nuts. And so for every week, she had to go and give blood to make sure that everything was going to be all right. And, and on September 19th, we gave birth to a, a happy and healthy little boy. Praise God for that. And, you know. and so when Camden was born, um, he came out and he decided that he wanted to take a big gulp of ambionic fluid and not breathe. And so, uh, so it was like on Christmas, like you receive this present and he's sitting over there and receiving oxygen, but I wasn't allowed to hold him or anything. And so we just kept praying and, and, and working it out. And after about half an hour, they took him away and they took him into the NIC unit. And it's a very hard thing to see your child being wheeled away. And that's when fear starts to creep in. It's like, is this going to work out how I want it to? And God, what's going on? And so um, I stayed with my wife for a while. And then I, I went down to the NICU to, to go see Camden. And when I was going down there, um, it was incredible. I, I walked by these panes of glass um, that were windows. And they actually had curtains in at this point. But I walked by that. And I, had, I have a, a very strange memory. I just remember a lot of things. And I walked by that. And I remember being a child in, in the NICU and West Penn Hospital. And I remember walking by these panes of glass. And I would actually look inside of them because one of my cousins, her name was Jessica. She had died about 33 years ago. And, and, I, and I had looked through those panes and, I, and, I, you know, and we, we had watched her die. And fear started to grip me as I walked by these. And I was like... Am I going to experience, you know, I know I was only five or six years old, but I remember that vividly. And, I, because, and, I, and fear started to strike me, and I'm like, am I going to lose my son? And again, I'm not a, a very fearful person. I'm not much of a warrior. But I, I did start to, to feel that. And I, and I walked into the NIC unit, and, and I saw my son. And obviously, we were praying the whole time, and I saw him. And, I'm, and my mother was with him, and I, and I got to hold him. And my mother was holding him. And as she was holding him, I started to look around the NIC unit. And I saw these other babies that were two and three pounds. You know, that they were all on these ventilators and they were in a lot worse shape than my son. And I looked around and I just felt the peace of God and I was like, he's going to be all right. I know he is. And I looked around and I said, this is probably the, the only time in his life he'll be the largest person in his class because he's a Kozik, you know, we're not very large people. <laughs> And I just had this overwhelming peace that, that God was with me and that everything was going to be all right. And Camden did spend an extra day in the NICU, but again, he's perfectly healthy. He's perfectly normal. Many of you may be sitting out there and, and be going through a, a valley right now. 
where you're having this struggle where am I going to trust in myself and take up this fear? Or am I going to place my faith and trust God even though I don't understand? The person who wrote this psalm was David. And I want to take a, a, just a quick glimpse of his life in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12. And this is when David you know, had an affair on, uh, with, with Bathsheba. And whenever he had this affair with this, this random woman, what happened was is she became pregnant. And she came to him and said, David, I'm pregnant. And David then took matters into his own hands. And what he did was is he had Uriah the Hittite come to him and, and asked, you know, basically asked him how he was doing and tried to get him to go home and, have, and lay with his wife, as the Bible say, so that he could basically get away with his sin. But Uriah was a man of honor and integrity and wouldn't do that because his other brothers were out fighting. And so then David then decided he had to do something else, and he gave a note with Uriah and gave it back to Joab and told Joab, the commander of the army, put Uriah where the fighting is the fiercest and then call the retreat and essentially have him murdered, and that's what happened. And then after Uriah was killed, he took Bathsheba to be his wife and essentially had gotten away with everything. Until one day, the Nathan the prophet shows up and tells him this little story. And he says, hey, listen, there was this rich guy that had lots of lambs and lots of sheep. And there was this poor little guy that only had one little ooh lamb. And when the, the rich man had company, rather than taking lots of his sheep and lots of his lambs and slaughtering them, he went down to the little ooh lamb's man, the poor man, and, and took it off of him and, and murdered him. And David heard that, and he says, as surely as the Lord lives, that person deserves to die. And Nathan had the courage to look at him and said, you are that man, and what you did with Uriah the Hittite. Nathan then explained to him that there was going to be some consequences for his sin. He said, listen, I'm going to, God's going to raise up some calamity in your house, your own son, at that point that he would know, but Absalom would come and, and try to take his throne off of him. And he said one more thing, and I'm going to start in verse 13. He said, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. Because, but because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. The son born to you will die. That's a heavy price to pay. I don't believe that my child was taken or any of these other testimonies were taken because of the sin that we had committed. But to know that because of your choices, you had caused that much consequences for someone that you loved like that would be very difficult. Verse 18, Nathan had gone home. The Lord struck the child Uriah had born to David, and he became ill. Verse 16, David pleaded for the child, and he fasted and spent nights laying in sackcloth on the ground. And very similarly, like I prayed for my son, and I prayed that God would heal him and perform a miracle. That's exactly what David was praying. God, please, please. And he had taken off his royal robes, and he had put on essentially sackcloth, which would be burlap, which would be something uncomfortable. And he's pleading with God, God, please have mercy. Save my son. Please save my son. Save my son. Please, please, please. Verse 17, the elders, I'm sorry. And he pleaded with God and he fasted the night, lying in sackcloth on the ground. Verse 17, the elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground. But he refused. He would not eat or any food with them. Verse 18, on the seventh day, on the, seventh day the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do something desperate, and what they are fearful for him. 
They're afraid to tell David because what, what would happen to him? What, what would David do? Verse 19, David noticed that his tenants were whispering among themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then he got up from the ground, and after he washed, he put on lotions, he changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. Instead of having all this fear and trying to control it, no, he goes and he says, God, I want to praise you. Even though he had walked through the valley of the shadow of death, did he have fear? No, he clung to his faith. He said, God, I'm going to trust you. And he falls and he worships and he thanks God for everything. And when I heard that in Kristen's testimony about losing her son, and she said, we're called to worship. That's exactly right. We're called to worship even in the valley. When we don't understand what God's doing. When he doesn't answer the prayers that, that we want him to. That's exactly what David does. Then he left his own house. And at his request, they served and they ate him food. As his attendants asked him, they said, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted, you wept. But now the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was alive, I fasted and I wept. And I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back? Will I go to him? No, but he, but he will not return to me. And some of you may have some burlap sacks on right now. And some of you may be going in through dark, dark valleys. And I want to challenge you to worship God, to take off the burlap, to take off the sackcloth, and say, God, I'm going to worship you no matter what. I'm going to praise you in the storm. I'm going to cling to my faith just like David did. And not let fear overconsume you. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's what David did. I want you guys to bow your heads. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite David to come up and, and leave us. And one last song. Lord, you know everybody in, in this situation. Some people may be going through a, a deep, deep valley right now, and you may be calling them out of that valley and saying, listen, take off the sackcloth, put on the lotions, come home, come just worship me. And if that's you, I want to I invite you just to wholeheartedly sing this next song. Sing out to God. Some of you may have come out of the valley, and I just want you to take this opportunity to praise God one more time that even though you went through a tough time, that he was faithful for you. And he always will be faithful with you. God, we just want to worship you and thank you for who you are. We pray this all in your precious name. Would you stand and would you worship with us?